Hi everyone, welcome to Seek to Speaks podcast. I'm Aisa, and today we have a very special episode for you in conjunction with World Mental Health Day, which is happening on 10th of October. And this episode is a little different because this time we are not going to end with why our guest seeks to speak. Instead, we are going to tell you exactly why we seek to speak today. And today we're going to seek to speak about mental health. The reason why we're doing this is because we want to normalize conversations about this topic in order to destigmatize the issue. So what you're going to be hearing today is 12 amazing people telling you about their understanding of mental health, what they perceive mental health to be, as well as their respective experiences with mental health. Hi everyone, Ikram here. So the reason why this episode is important to us is because according to the 2015 National Health and Morbidity Survey, every 3 in 10 adults aged 16 and above in Malaysia suffer from some sort of mental health issue. This comes up to 4.2 million people. In the survey, mental health conditions or mental illnesses was slated to become the second biggest illness after heart disease to affect Malaysians by 2020. Lo and behold, it's 2020 this year. (laughs) As such, we thought it would be timely for us to maybe share some stories about mental health issues and the people who live with it on a day-to-day basis. So as you can tell, these conversations are very, very important. But I also want to remind everyone that we are not experts on this topic. So anything recommended here by the people you're going to be hearing from should also be followed with your own research and advice from professionals because not everything that worked for the people on this episode will also work for you. And though we will reveal the age of our guests today, they are by no means a representation of people in a certain age group, gender, as well as race. Alright, so just a bit of a trigger warning. We'll also touch on sensitive issues such as depression, anxiety, and self-harm. So if you're not prepared to hear any of these, please do skip this episode and come back when you feel comfortable. That said, we understand that mental health issues exist on a spectrum from mild to extremely severe. And this episode will not be comprehensively representative of everything on the spectrum but rather what these 12 Malaysians chose to talk about when it comes to their own experiences and observations on mental health. Lastly, names have been changed to create a safe space for these individuals to express themselves and verbalize their stories. Okay, so um, let's start. Aisa, uh, talk us through the stories we will be listening to today. Absolutely. So I spent a few weeks talking to people from various age groups to get their perspective on mental health. So these stories are told from the lens of four kids between the ages of 10 to 12, three teenagers, a university student, two people in their 30s and a married couple. So in your interview with each of these people, did you find that there was a, a general approach to all of these stories? Is there a very uniform kind of theme? Absolutely not. And I think that's the beauty behind these stories because they're all so different and yet still relatable at the same time. But, you know, instead of hearing it from me, let them tell you instead. Okay, so what was the first thing you asked them? So I asked all of the guests that you'll be hearing today, what 
they understand mental health to be or what does mental health look like to them. So you're about to hear from 30-year-old Kieran. Because I suffer from different types of mental health issues. So it's not just anxiety. There is a part of me that goes through depression and there's parts of me that has uh, issues with controlling emotion. So for me, it's like two different analogies mixed into one. Oh, okay. It's almost like I'm in a well for the depression part. So I'm basically in this dark well. <clears throat> and I climb into it, or I don't climb down, I kind of fall into it every couple of months. And in the well, there's a hamster wheel because I'm just running, trying to get out. But instead of a ladder, there's a hamster wheel. I'm just oh. constantly running in the same motion, trying to get out, doing the same things over and over again, trying to get out. So it's like a different different type of hamster wheel every time. It's a different type of solution. But I'm always just stuck repeating the cycle over and over again. So no matter how many times I change the motion or change the type of solution, I'm just stuck in this well. Until naturally, like the water rises and I swim up. He describes his anxiety very differently. So I'm like in the middle of a typhoon. So I'm in the eye of the storm, basically, in the middle. Oh, okay. And there's all these colors, sounds, and emotions, and they're all just swirling around me nonstop. And it's just so much, and I, it's like the eye of the storm, right? So it starts, stops, starts, stops. And I'm in the yeah. center, just waiting for the next wave to hit. And oh. it's just a bunch of things that keep coming up, and it's... I don't know how to manage it, basically. It just happens. Next, you'll hear from a pair of sisters, Ariel and Amy. Ariel is 14 years old, and she's the person you will hear first. And then you'll hear from Amy, who is 11 years old. To me, mental health is when something just bugs you inside your head, and you can't seem to find uh, a window to jump out from, you know? It's just... You're just in a room and you can't do anything about it unless you talk to someone. To me, mental health is something that stays in your mind where you can choose to either lock it up inside a treasure chest or just give everyone the gold. <laughs> and gold is what? Your feelings, is it? Your feelings, your memories, because it really depends because sometimes people really misuse it and sometimes they don't. Next, we have a couple Jenny, who is 28 years old, and Jerry, who is 31 years old. Mental health is similar to physical health, as that you can't see the physical wounds. It's like invisible strings um, that keep you up and moving. So if you don't take care of it, then it will break and you lose control of your body. But if you take care of it, it can be the very thing that can lift you up and carry you. Wow. During the hardest times. That is such a good way of describing that. So right now, where are you? Are your strings good? A lot have been broken. <laughs> but I'm uh, tying some back. It's like language. Certain languages have different kind of uh, rules and certain kind of grammatical uh, structures and each of the languages are wired differently. And even if you learn the wiring, if you learn the ins and outs of a certain grammatical uh, correctness of a language, say Japanese or in, uh, in, in, in Hindi, the other aspect, the deeper aspect of language is the vernacular underlying uh, facts around it. 
some languages we perceive to be negligible. We don't really need to learn that because it's not relevant to me. So that that's exactly the 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 the, the way I look at mental health. So people might think that I don't need to learn Mandarin because it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. But when it dawned upon him that he he's put upon a situation where suddenly Mandarin becomes relevant. It, it's hard to actually go against our uh, our common sensibilities to think that Mandarin is not relevant to us, relevant to me. Because I feel like language is there a way in which we communicate with each right. other. So when we decide that a language is not worthy of our attention, we not only close off that language, but the culture and the people that subscribe to that language. Or when it comes to mental health, people who are going through mental health difficulties, we close off our heart because we don't have the Required language to talk to them, to make them feel better, to understand them. That was Jerry and Jenny, the married couple. You'll find out later why it's important for us to bring a couple's perspective and to see the dynamics between a person who is struggling with mental health and how the loved ones react as well as cope with that. But before that, let's go to 20-year-old Iman, the university student. I think anxiety for me is, it's like being trapped in a room where it's like really hot like in a dark oven it's where where you start to feel anxiety your body starts to really heat up like you really you really start to like heat up to the point where I become sweaty and my my palms just become sticky and the only way you want to actually relieve this is to actually warm it like you to actually feel a sense of relief. Next, we have 12 years old Khadija, who is homeschooled, and 10 years old Meiling, who goes to a public school, and what their understanding of mental health is. Mental health is like when you feel sad. Like, one way of comparing it to health is like cyberbullying and then bullying, like physical bullying. Um, mental health is, it's, how do I say, it's, Emotional, like let's say now you're having problems, that is mental health. Like, you know, like, like emotional problems, yes. Like, what kind of emotional problems? Like, maybe someone um, posted a bad comment on some, you know, like Facebook on, on or your Instagram account or, uh, of you p- posting a picture. I mean, how cute is that? They both think or perceive mental health to be something that you get usually when you're bullied either online or offline. But next, we have Anna, who is 15 years old and comes from an international school. I think mental health is our emotional and social well-being. It's something unseen, but it's there. We can't just ignore it. Next, we have Priya, who is a video producer in the media industry. She is 38 years old. If you, if you think about it, physical health, the better state of physical health you have, the better it is for you to cope with physical stress. Oh, so, that's a good point. Right? So your mental health, the better state it is for your mental health, the better it is for you to cope with mental stress. So I, I, I compare mental health illness like a headache. And I'm not trying to take away from it, but it is something that everyone goes through in varying degrees and sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't just like a headache and people with mental health uh, chronic mental health issues is it's almost like 
constantly having a headache. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are um, confused because you, 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 there are people who say that you have depression or you have bipolar, but you can still function. Yeah. And I think... Of course, we all go through depression. It's it's almost like, you know, you think about it. I think you can compare it to when you're having a fever mm. and you're sick, but you're still going to work. Yeah. It's yeah. still there, but you're just pushing yourself. And I think people with mental health illness, and that's why I think they go through. Yeah, that is a perfect analogy, actually, the headaches. Because, and, it's, and you're right that you're not taking away um, any of people who suffer from these things suffering simply because even headaches can be really bad. You know, it can be like a migraine or a mild headaches. And these are the kind of things that people can't see. When you go to a doctor for a headache, doctor doesn't even know if it's a real fever until he takes your temperature. It's the things that are unseen, but are felt and it does affect the way that you work. So you're completely right. That's a really good physiological way to explain mental health in a way that so many people can relate to because everybody has had a headache yes and, exactly and still have to go to work lastly we have another two sisters 14 year old sasha and 12 years old susan well for me mental health is isn't a thing that you should take lightly it's what i imagine is as a gift like it's up to you whether to give it to someone you trust or you don't for example if you give it to someone you trust, they probably will take care of you, they will appreciate you, respect you. But if someone you don't trust, I don't think that they would respect you or treat you as someone that they truly see as what you are. So for mental health, uh, I guess it's like, it's like you're in a situation where you are preparing last minute for your most important exam in your life. So you feel so panicked and there are so many questions going around in your mind. Will I fail? Can I pass my exam? And much, much more. So so these are the people that I interviewed and who you will hear a lot more from after this. So how has hearing these stories changed your view on mental health issues, if at all? It was absolutely mind-blowing because how everybody understands, perceive and experience mental health is so different. Some are very aware of their own struggles and have no trouble articulating themselves, while others explain mental health through the lens of an outsider because they don't, do not face these issues themselves. Before going back to our guests, I would like to introduce you to Zulaika, a mental health advocate and co-founder of the Malaysian Youth Mental Health Initiative, or Mindakami for short. Mindakami is a Kale-based youth mental health advocacy group which strives to make mental health education accessible to all through inclusivity, science communication and projects such as social media campaigns, creative media content and physical events. Zulaika, the host of the Borat Minda podcast, talks to me and educates me on her type 2 bipolar disorder. Here, she talks a little bit about this condition. Um, it was a long process actually. It started um getting bad when i was 18 so second year of my degree would be i was 21 at that point so it took a while for mm. me to um to realize the severity of my situation because mm. um a lot of the times what's part of bipolar disorder is the depressed state so bipolar type 2 uh, includes episodes such as depression and also mania, um, hypomania to be exact. 
Um, so, and usually people with type 2 have a lot of depressive episodes in comparison with the hypomania. So, I, so I, mania yeah. is, sorry, mania, hypomania is happy, is it? Like hy- um, hyper happy. Um, not exactly. So that's another, I guess, misconception that we yeah, yeah. try to, uh, that I try at least when I'm talking to people um, to, I try to address. Um, it's not happy. It's um, more energized, more elated. It doesn't oh. always manifest as joyful and happy and hyper. It could be just being very irritated. You feel like your skin is crawling, you know, and you can't really do oh. anything about it. So that's why hypomania is uncomfortable. You would think, oh, I would love to be manic right now, you know, like be yeah, super yeah. happy. But it doesn't always manifest as being super happy, but it can be a lot of other problematic things like um, impulsivity or like I said before, like being very irritable or angry. So <clears throat> that's one of the misconceptions lah. Initially, it was very hard for Zulaika to talk about her condition, but she later realized that she was not alone and how important it is to speak up about these issues. I was really hesitant to talk about any sort of struggles uh, like depression, like being extremely sad, extremely anxious about something. So after I... um, That period of time was really what opened me up to realizing that other people need help you know like if let's say yeah, they are they because i felt really like alone at first but then i realized once like i started to talk about it and thankfully like the people who um were in my course basically my classmates lah, were very mm. supportive of me and like really tried to listen and understand what i'm going through You'll hear more from Zulaika later. In the meantime, check out Mindakami's socials for great resources on mental health. I will link them in this episode show notes because they're super duper helpful. Okay, let's go back to our 12 special guests. So now that we know how they internally view mental health, let's now look at how mental health has affected their daily lives. And first, we'll start off with Khadija as well as Mailing to find out whether or not they are affected. Do you think that, do you face any mental health issues? Mm, No. Do you have any friends or family who face mental health issues? No. 10-year-old Mei Ling also feels the same way, and this is why. Because I'm positive and I like talking a lot. (laughs) I I like watching, you know, like motivational videos that inspires me. And my little sister is so cute and she always plays with me and she gives this cute smile on her face that that makes me smile every time I see her and every time I go anywhere. Now let's look at how the 20-year-old student Iman is doing during COVID-19. It's when it really affects me in a sense where uh, my time sleeping schedule is off and like... I don't want to talk to my friends because now just seeing them as friends, you see them as work. Because the only time when you contact your friends is just to ask about assignment, classes, homework. And it makes you scared to talk about like your emotions or your feelings. So something you lock inside and you feel like you feel so you feel like you're stuck in four walls. 
And I feel like the only relief and comfort I have is just eating my way out. So I have, <laughs> I have developed a habit where I order Grab every day and it, you gain weight, you gain weight from this and it really not takes a toll on how you feel. You feel like you're trapped, but you every can't day, get out. yeah, you can't get out. And the only happiness you get from it is eating because that's the only joy rather than meeting your friends or talking out. Uh, a little bit similar to Iman and unlike Khadija as well as Mailing sisters, 14-year-old Ariel and 11-year-old Amy faces a little bit of stress when it comes to their studies because their education is something they really, really prioritize. As I just said, I'm very, very competitive. Until today, I still can't seem to let go of number one. When you say you can't let go of number one, what do you mean? Is it like when you lose in a competition? Is like, that... Uh, mostly it's education-wise and I also go for many classes, like extra, so it has to be an excelling performance or else to me it's just like, what's the point if you're not the best of the best, you know? Right, where did you get this drive? Wait, so when you say number one, you mean number one in class? Number one in class, let's say I go for ballet classes, example. It has to be always like, in the assessment, it always has to be number one or else like, it just gets me like, yeah, like I feel like being scratched by a bear, you know, it's very painful to not get number one to me. Why is it very painful that you don't get number one? I don't know. It's just that I'm a very, very competitive person because I've always wanted the brightest future I can have. So it's very, very hard for me to just sit down and look at someone getting the prize. But the thing is that the expression that will be painted on my face is a smile. But inside, oh. Her older sister Ariel feels the same way, except she really puts pressure on herself to do well. And it's not about getting number one, but rather always doing her best. Um, I felt pressure because um, I wanted to get good grades and I know that I was putting in the effort that was required but there was always something deep down in my heart that for some reason told me that oh you know you you're gonna slack a little bit you know and you're not gonna be where you want to be so that kind of um affected me a bit I think I feel stressed out because it's um I had a lot of like activities to go for you know like workshops, school organized things and then there was always a huge load of homework to do mm. so there would just be moments where I just sit and think oh my gosh I have this to do, I have that to do so I always feel like it was such like a burden on my shoulders but then after like that wave like went away I would be like oh you know this is fine, I, I can do this in contrast, we have 15-year-old Anna who is at the top of her game in a sense where she really works really hard when it comes to her studies. She told me that she goes to school, she wakes up at 5.30 and goes to school, comes back at about 5 or 6 p.m., eats dinner and then studies all the way to 12 a.m. But for some reason, it doesn't stress her out. Instead, a really terrible incident that happened this year is actually affecting her state of um, mental well-being. Yeah, so my grandmother passed away this year and oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. And then she's someone that I really love. So actually 
people say it's okay it's gonna time's going to heal it's all right you just wait you're going to be okay but it's really hard you know every time whenever i think about her it's just very overwhelming so i i talk out to my friends yeah and then they comforted me and i feel quite better were you quite close with your grandma yeah i stay with her until i was 7 then i move up to kl so we didn't i didn't stay with her but like my mainly all of my childhood i was raised by my grandmother oh this is something that you still feel quite sad about yeah yesterday night i just thought of her and then i cried again <laughs> sometimes it doesn't even have to be a big event sometimes it's things that you see on the screen that you didn't think it will affect you or the people around you but actually it lingers and this is something that priya discovered my my thing is that social media is <laughs> a really uh, huge source of stress and anxiety for a lot of people especially the younger generation are you talking about this personally or your takeaways from all of your peers i'm i think for a long time i thought i was impervious to it mm-hmm. and then but this year i'm like i'm finding myself going through instagram and finding myself comparing my life to other people and feeling bad about myself for not achieving whatever my peers or friends or whatever i see and i'm like even though the social media has highlights only right yeah even it's highlights or just the stories and 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 it you I think I was surprised at how long it lingered on. It's like I'm looking at it and then later in the day I'm thinking about it and then later in the week I'm talking about it and I'm I'm starting to feel resentful mm-hmm. of other people's lives and because who knows what's actually yeah, going yeah, yeah, on, yeah, right? It's just true. a freaking picture but yeah. I'm so affected and like okay, I'm going to put this down yeah. and if I'm um you know, I I like to think I'm older and more aware and if I'm you know sucked into this i can only imagine the vulnerable group of people and then we go back to kieran and see how his mental health condition has affected his life or his work in my case um mental health has basically made it very hard for me to find work well, actually no finding work is never an issue for yeah, me yeah <laughs> you you always get work really easily yeah i think work is never the problem getting the job is never the problem it's just maintaining the job So it's always been very hard for me to <clears throat> How do I say this? It's been very hard for me to maintain some level of uh, stability mm-hmm. because I get thrown into the well or I'm in the eye of the storm every couple of months. So after a while without fail, I would go through this process all over again from the start. And it's just really hard to manage because I become I'm I'm a high functioning I have yeah. high functioning. You can you can function, you do things well. Yeah. But unfortunately, when I go through specific types of issues or states, it's harder for me to manage. And when you have a job, you don't have time mm. to you don't have time to heal. And sometimes I need a month, I need two months, so it gets very difficult. Jenny feels the same way and here she talks about what her daily life looks like when she's in a bad place. And though it seems very obvious to some of you that she's going through something very difficult, it took her about 6 months and even longer for her loved ones to accept the fact that something more difficult is at play here and maybe she does need external help. Yeah, when I how my day starts is that when I was in that bad place, was that I wake up in the morning, 
with my alarm and I'll feel oh, heavy and tired and I'll feel like oh, I don't want to go to work and I would delay that time to a point in time that I'll be like oh man you know, if I come any later I'm going to be super late so because I had to travel a long distance um, um, I had I get up. I was using public transport at that point in time, so it was trains and buses, lah. That was very long, right? Two hours, one hour and a half. Uh, one hour and a half, sometimes two hours. So during the train ride, I would usually distract myself, maybe listen to something, because I would have like really bad toxic thoughts in my head, and when I, when I'm finally in the bus, and I'll find a seat in the corner, where. I wouldn't be sitting with anybody. I pray that nobody tries to sit next to me. And sometimes I would. Sometimes if it's really bad and people don't come and approach me, I'll start crying a bit, tearing up. Then I reach in the office, and then I, you know, I see, I greet my colleagues, and then I get a cup of coffee to wake myself up and you know focus. And I start doing work, and I think this is where the ADHD comes in where while I was doing work you know I'll be like oh what is it I had to do and uh, during the meeting I try to keep focus or like I'm supposed to check some of my work and sometimes you know you have this insistent where like oh what mistake I'm gonna make next like oh I have to check double check double check double check on everything because as someone with ADHD you just have this thing where you always tend to miss something out forget something and then when people tell me something oh did i did do i have anything else that i'm supposed to do that i didn't write it down so you have like this insecurity yeah about your work and what you may be missing yeah so after that um it will go to a point of time where during lunchtime at the um half of the day i will start having i think anxiety attack where i would stare at the computer and i just i would be in tunnel vision mode but i cannot focus on anything at all and i feel like i need to get out of my seat asap so i would get out saying that i want to go to the toilet but actually um i'm actually either calling up my um at that point in time boyfriend or close friend of mine if i can't get anybody on the phone and i would go to the toilet cry myself so I will feel better and now I'll go back to the um I'll have lunch with my colleagues and you know try pretend, to cheer myself up you pretend nothing happened yeah and then um I would go back to work and having all that kind of anxiety by the time I come back home I'm just like tired and sometimes you know I'm just too tired to even bathe at times and I'll just go to sleep like exhausted and then that cycle goes through over and over again then you know I didn't realize that I was actually crying on a daily basis because people used to tell me because um you know you're in a you're in a good family you know you have a job and people tend to like uh, downplay you know my hardships and saying oh this is normal this is just a phase of life well you're not entitled to it yeah because you have a good life you have a good family you don't have you didn't go through abuse why would you have any why would you need to feel this way right yeah it's it went to a point that i didn't realize until i look back now that you know i cried almost every day and it's not just like once a day sometimes a few times a day and i remember like even during sundays i was just like thinking going back to work just makes me cry and you know 
initially I was so confused because there was nothing wrong with my colleagues. There's nothing wrong with my boss. I quite like the environment in my workplace. So why am I so miserable? And that's when after years of understanding that when I found out about my ADHD is when everything starts making sense. The insistent feeling that I'm not good enough and my work just like because I keep making stupid and silly mistakes because of my ADHD and I try to find ways to fix it but it's it's it, it doesn't work as well as I want it to because that's why it's important to understand your mental health because knowing that I have ADHD it's not just an, it's not an excuse to tell people I have ADHD. That's why you should forgive what I'm doing it. But knowing I have ADHD is is so that I can forgive myself. That I can tell myself, you know, you have ADHD. You will make you will definitely make mistakes. No matter what you do, you will make mistakes. Um, more than than people, my peers and the people I know, and that's something I have to accept. That it's not because I'm not trying hard enough. It's just, it's just the way my brain works, and that I shouldn't give up on trying to um, build better habits. Just keep. It's just to tell myself to keep trying, and to tell myself that it's okay. It is so heartbreaking to hear Jenny's journey, knowing that she went through this alone for a very long time because she didn't know that what she was going through is ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, which made her easily forget things, which made it hard to focus, which then caused her to feel so insecure and doubtful about her capabilities as an employee, which then made her spiral into a depression, a bout of depression. And even... Her partner, Jerry, explained that it took a long time for him to realize what was happening to her was something a lot more insidious, a lot more serious, until a sh- what he calls a shooketh event that happened that made him realize that this is really something that she can't just grow out of. The friend asked her, can you come to my wedding? Yes. And then she has a family thing that she couldn't get out of. Mm-hmm. And then she finds it hard to tell her friend. Yes. Oh, so... To my mind, it beats every essence of my common sense that you cannot just simply reply this text. Or if oh, it was a text. It was a text. You know, just reply a text like, I'm so sorry, brother, sister, that I cannot come to your wedding because of my family obligations, which has already been set six months in advance. So you can't fault me for not going. And as a best friend, I know that, of course, you would understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But this particular... Um, possibility of confrontation was so madly overwhelming her to the extent that she drove from her residence in KL right to my house in Sha'alam, bawling her eyes out, telling me to sit down with her, hold her hands, as I recall, just for her to come down a bit to text her friend. And, and it doesn't end there. So I said, okay lah, okay, I'm seated down here. I'm already disturbed, you know, because my very fabric of common sense is being, you know, torn to pieces because my, my, my mind is just struggling, trying to process how is this so much of a problem, you know? My common sense is not common anymore and I, I'm, 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 I'm fighting every bit of my urge to just lash out saying that you don't have common sense, guys, I am. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is nothing. And in my mind, it 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 played in my mind that it, it, in Your my future. yeah in the future. So it's like if you cannot deal with this simplistic matter, how do you expect you know if we're going to get married, we're going to have children, we're going to have money issues. So you you can't you can't even reply your friend's text. You know how are we going to have effective communication as husband and wife, and with your children? Mm-hmm. So that went through mine. Um, but it it went to an extent that particular in, uh, event. She she held my hand, asking me to sit down for her to write the text, and what really shook me, what really really opened up my mind to how serious this was, is the fact that she asked to give her a few minutes so that she can write on a piece of paper what she wants to say to the friend, and it before blew, putting down on before that. putting down on the phone. And it blew my mind. And all this while, while she was doing this, she was born like legitimately. I'm not talking about fake cries in a Hindustani movie. I'm, yeah, I'm talking about legitimate crying. You know, like a grieving mother. To Reality TV yes, show like, crying. Nah, even that's fake. Reality TV is fake. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, in that instance, I, I, I was in. I my my mind just opened up. My heart opened up to think that, wow, this is not just run of the mill anxiety, man. Like the manifestation of the fear and the anxiety is just at a totally otherworldly level, because she was crying, and what I vividly remember was she was crying and she was shivering. You know, she was legitimately shivering. So it it became physiological. Yes, it manifested itself. the The symptoms manifested physiologically. So it's no longer a matter of mentality or psychology. So that's when I knew this is legit, my dudes. <laughs> <laughs> confirm, confirm. Confirm. It cannot be just something that you grow out from. It cannot be. Okay, hold up. Um, is it just me, or is Jerry coming across as a huge jerk right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just really blunt and upfront about his disbelief and denial of Jenny's mental health issue, and I think he also understands the harm that it has probably brought to her mental well-being. But this doesn't come across as all that positive why, why did you choose to include it as part of the interview because unfortunately Jerry isn't alone there are a lot of people who would like to deny that their loved ones are going through something other than a bad day and with Jerry he not only takes ownership of his past experiences but he very clearly explains that he has learned from it fun fact Jenny was in the room the whole time I interviewed Jerry to the point where I actually felt kind of awkward and I kept looking back at Jenny to make sure that she's okay and she's completely fine and that really goes to show that both of them have come to terms with the mistakes of their past and that the lines of communication is now open and that's something that we will discuss later in this episode but first let's go back to Iman because Jerry talked about physical manifestation of a mental health issue and Iman felt something very similar with her condition as well why does vomiting help it's like when you're sick and you vomit and you feel better it's like that's something inside you is I so this is the thing people think that cyberbullying it doesn't happen in real life mental mm-hmm. health you don't see the scars it doesn't 
translate physiologically, mm-hmm. but actually it does. it does. A lot of this anxiety can translate to cold sweats, to headaches, to vomiting. And Wait, sometimes, Katie. yeah, and sometimes even though it's psychological, I actually think that the, the, the fact that you feel better after vomiting is also psychological mm-hmm. in a sense that in mm-hmm. the past, when you get a headache, you vomit, you feel better because the bacteria or whatever is out of your body. And because you associate that feeling better to your physical, when you're physically ill, mm-hmm. even when you're mentally not feeling great. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting physical symptoms. You feel like I need to vomit to get it out, to get yeah. it out. So like people don't realize, and we're not just talking about self-harm. People mm-hmm. think that mental health manifests itself into self-harm. And that's only, that's the only way in which it can manifest itself physically. But actually, mental health can manifest itself in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. In you being super, obviously in you being super emotional, pushing people away, but also in you not like having an appetite to eat, mm-hmm. uh, you lashing out with other people. So I think that's the problem where the reason why people don't see mental health or can't understand it is because they can't see it. They can't see the wound physically because it's something inside. So people don't believe what they can't see. It's hard. And I understand it's hard to believe what you can't see, but it's also dangerous because I feel like you, you see... The effects, like you, you do see, it does affect you physically when you want to vomit, or you don't, you can't sleep, or you eat way too much, you gain weight, or you don't eat at all, you lose weight to the point where you you're just skin and bones. But the main argument is where people can't understand mental health, is because they can't see it. Hmm. It's like a invisible parasite that just sucks your blood and nobody can help you because they can't see while triggering events can come in many forms maybe a text from a friend or a workplace environment and it can manifest itself physically like in the case of jenny and iman sometimes triggering events can actually be just mere words maybe a betrayal and sometimes the manifestation of that incident may not be physical but rather how you view the world and how your perspective has changed because of that so let's go back to high school and check on 14-year-old Sasha. I don't really talk about mental health to other people. It's because like I don't think I trust anyone that much. So no one deserves your gift. Yes. <laughs> Why do you say that? Was there a betrayal in the past or an experience that made you feel kind of like I can't trust anyone? Well, uh, um, yeah, uh, it yeah. It what happened? happened? You don't have to give names. Nobody okay, will know. So like my friend here. Like, she really never appreciate me, even though I really appreciate her very much. And, like, she was like, no, I don't like you anymore. And so that's what, like, it kind of hurt my heart. So Like, what, what happened? In what way did she not appreciate you? And in what way did you put in a lot of effort with the friendship? For example, like, I always appreciate her by saying, like, you're the best friend I could ever have. And I, I hope that we could stay connected to the end. And then, like, one day she said that I backstabbed her. But actually, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't know what was my problem with her. But she said that to me. You mean she didn't even tell you what you did wrong? No. 
She did not. And then she just stopped talking to you? Yeah. How did that make you feel? Quite sad. But then I said, ah, she's not worth it. In response to this incident, it is now very, very hard for Sasha to trust anyone. I don't call them as a best friend because I don't really trust people. Do you think that what has happened with your old friend has like left a scar on your heart that makes it difficult for you to trust others? Yep. Yeah, all of my friends actually have trust issue. In contrast, Sasha's sister, Susan, who is 12 years old, said that she was very stressed out about her exams, not just because she wants to get into a good school when she goes to high school, but also because of some incidents that an incident that happened with her friends in the past when she didn't get good grades. So, like, uh, before my exams, like my previous exams, I did uh, really bad. With the amount of pressure that I've been, like, my friends, they, uh, um, well, they insult me for being not smart and... Oh, no, what did they say? Well, they they said that I'm not that smart and... and they think they are smarter, but uh, you know, with and I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. Like I changed my my subconscious mind, and I just want to try and move on. And I just move these on. are your friends. Yeah. Susan also admits that she'd much rather hang out in the library during break time than talk to the people in her school. She admits that she has difficulties talking to her friends because of these trust issues. Well, not really. I don't have any friends. Uh, I mean, like, well, I have friends, but I just, I, I, I just, I just, I don't trust them. Sometimes we don't realize the profound effect that we have on people, that our words actually matter and our words can have power and our words can hurt to the point where it may change a child's perception of the world or the child's ability to trust in the person. And sometimes just triggers are so different. It may affect one person in some way and it may not affect another person. So for Anna, she doesn't get stressed out from her studies. So you study until 12 a.m. every day? Kind of. And how old are you? 15. <laughs> don't you feel so stressed out? Actually, I don't, I don't know because I'm actually quite good or immune to this. How long have you been doing this? I think I was since UPSA, 12, yeah. Don't you get tired? No, actually I found this quite thrilling. But now I found out why she is so driven to do well. And it came from some words a little boy said to her when she was much younger. I'm actually, I was born in 2006, January 1st. And then all my classmates were 2005. So I'm like actually a year younger than them. So there's this one time my friend just found out my birthday and then he was just like oh my gosh she's the little sister in our class oh no and then they say that I even cheated in tests to get into like top 10 they say it's impossible for a person younger than us to be smarter than us so actually I got very frustrated that time that became the drive yes and that eventually told me to, like, oh I must be better than all of my friends <laughs> 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 like I convert those those hates that I receive into my passion to move forward. Turn it into a positive. 
However, not everyone can turn a negative into a positive like Anna, and it makes you also wonder if the boy didn't say those things to Anna, would she work as hard as she does today? And if she doesn't, would that be so bad? It's so interesting to see how simple words or small incidents can really affect someone's life so profoundly that it changes the way that they think and the way that they view education or people. Another interesting thing is something Priya brought up about triggers. I, I think they're all different triggers and I think we are all different people. Just like uh, physiologically, some people are just stronger than other people, right? And, and I think um, some people are more susceptible to mental health issues than other people. Like I said, you know, depending on your mental state, how well do you cope with stress? Mm. And it's just that if you give physical stress, how well you recoup from that is how how healthy you were before that so in terms of trigger i think i think there's a lot of dialogue about this and and different people are triggered by different things ah okay so there are different triggers naturally um in your interviews did any of them share their trigger stories with you yeah um they did kieran did Iman did and I myself shared a trigger or signal kind of story which you will hear after this. Do you think you get pushed into the well? Like is it the same person or thing that pushed you into the well? Or is it all different things and it might not even be related? Uh, I kind of wish it was the same thing because that would be easier to manage. But unfortunately, um, in my case it's not the same thing per se, but similar feelings can throw me into the well. And it's a time thing because I also have a hormone problem mm. where my cortisol levels, which apparently is like the stress hormone, yeah, yeah. it's double or triple the amount of a normal oh person. My goodness. So then when other people feel stress, I feel basically double the amount every time. I think my anxiety only comes out when I have a presentation or I, ha I have a tutorial that you know your teacher will call out your name and you know you haven't prepared properly. I think that's when really you get, I get really sweaty and I, I do feel like vomiting and I have vomit before, um, before presentation just to let it out. Uh, but now I think my problem is stress eating or when I'm not happy the first like binge eating when I'm not happy the only source of comfort is sugar like sugar really makes you it can really make you happy but it becomes this vicious cycle where um, you're really sad so you order something or you consume sugar and you become happy but only for a moment and then after that you realize that you start hating yourself because you you realize when you consume too much sugar you gain weight and your pimples start sprouting out and you know sugar really affects the way you sleep like if you order you eat something sugary in the middle of the night, it's really hard for you to go to sleep. So it creates this vicious cycle where you consume sugar, then you hate yourself, and then you feel sad again, and then you, you consume, consume more sugar. sugar. So it creates this vicious cycle. I think that's the problem that I've been going through. And from this vicious cycle, it has uh, caused me to gain weight, to sprout a lot of pimples. And that's even more stressful. Yeah. So it has 
created secondary stress. What I used to feel is previously I used to get really mad and emotional, passive aggressive at certain points in time, and I could never really pinpoint where it came from. But now this year, I've been a bit more aware and a bit more. I do a lot more introspection, and I realize that all right, this feeling is weighing me down, and I get upset. And when my loved ones try to like do things that are completely like not relevant to what I'm upset about, I get snappy. I get, and sometimes it's even with my OCD, like it's the need to control things because maybe because I have no control over this other situation that makes me feel uh, uncomfortable and depressed. So that's a that's something that I really think, and I I don't know if you feel this way is really important in order for you to realize something is wrong. I need to take it easy or I need to take a break. I need to talk to someone about this or I need to talk to the person that is the source of this pain mm. so that I can stop feeling this way because if not, I'm just going to be lashing out with other people. I spoke to one of the co-founders of Reach Out To You, Masmira, about why being conscious about your feelings and recognizing what you're going through is important. So Reach Out To You is a youth-led initiative founded by four amazing students and it aims to increase mental health awareness in Malaysia and what they do is provide really helpful bite-sized information on mental health issues in order to better educate Malaysians on this topic. I will link their Instagram account in the show notes because it's such an amazing resource. But here is Masmira. Well, uh, we are not experts but uh, what we can say from what we have studied and what we understand about mental health is that um, for them to be conscious about their emotions. Like, mm. if can, try to journal your emotions because journaling actually helps. If you track down of how you are feeling from day to day, you can actually know what you are going through. Because sometimes in our mind, in our head, there are so many things that we can't even, um, how to say, um, organize things. So we tend to mix our thinking from one place to another place. We tend to jump around and have these difficulties in organizing things and feeling low, feeling stressed. Yeah. So if we try to journal our emotions, track down or even have a diary, write about it. If you don't have anybody to share your feelings, your emotions, write about it. Because when you write about it, you actually telling yourself how you're feeling about it. So when you remember to be kind to yourself, you do not beat yourself up, okay? You will be able to actually control your emotions because when you write your emotions down, you're actually telling yourself that, oh, this is how I feel about myself from day to day. Okay, so maybe mm -hmm. I should not feel about myself this way. And there are no bad emotions. When people say that I'm feeling so negative, actually, when you're feeling negative, there's a purpose for it. Because when you feel angry, your emotions are telling you that something is blocking you from achieving mm, your goals. True, so every, true. Yeah, so every emotion that you feel has a purpose for it. So when you recognize your emotions, you are actually trying to learn yourself more, love yourself more. And it will help you to grow further. And that was Masmira's really helpful advice. Okay, so by this point, I am obviously invested in the obviously. story. Obviously. Yes, obviously I'm invested in the stories of these 12 individuals. So what happened next? 
Well, Kieran went on to I'm joking for you to find out what happens next. You gotta see part two of Seek to Speak special. Why do you do this? It's coming out tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay then. Yeah, right. But I will leave you with this amazing story from Mas Mira, co-founder of Reach Out to You and mental health survivor, because she not only overcame her struggles, she turned it into a calling, and she now strives to help other people through her platform. You'll also hear more from her in part two of this special. I was one of a mental health survivor also, so that's why I learned psychology because I want to learn about myself. I was actually uh, diagnosed with uh, a simple anxiety and depression, but the simple anxiety and depression was very severe to me because it started off when I was 15. So I had, oh. yeah. So I was actually uh, we we didn't know what was mental health at that time, you know. So we actually had to go to therapies. Like we means as in like me and my mom. <laughs> Because when this when this was happening, um, it was important for the parent to know as well what the kids were facing. Mm. So we actually went to our government hospital. So this is based on my experience. We went to the government hospital. At that time, I tried to attempt suicide because I felt like there was no point of living. So we went mm. to this government ho- hospital, and they actually set us up with a group therapy. An individual therapy, and I went to therapy for almost four years until until I was old enough and mature enough to handle my anxieties and depressions. And after the four years of therapy, I took I took this as an initiative to say that oh, maybe I should learn psychology because I know, like me, there are many, many, many other people who are yeah. facing the same kind of issues. So by learning psychology, I can actually help people because now I understand a psychology has a really important role in other people's life. Yeah.